Well, I am delighted to be with you this morning. I'm sorry I'm sitting down. Forgive that. I'm just a couple of weeks uh, past uh, back surgery, so I'm happy to just be here. But uh, I'm delighted that you're here. We have, for the last, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years, um, made a, a, um, a bit of a different uh, approach to, the, to these brunches with our messages. We've looked at pieces of art or, or photographs or some visual representation of a story or a theme out of God's word. And uh, last year we did the, the bummer lamb. And uh, this year we're looking at uh, Peter walking on water. At everyone's table, you should have a, a copy of the, of the picture that we have up here. This is an exceptionally well-known aspect of, of God's word. Uh, it appears, this adventure of a lifetime, appears in, in actually three of the accounts of the Gospels, found in Matthew and Mark and, uh, and John. For whatever reason, Luke didn't include it in his uh, story, we don't know. This is a, uh, an amazing moment in the life of Peter, but it can be an amazing moment in your life today. I have been praying. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started in this story. Father, there is an adventure that uh, unfolds in this portion of scripture. But it's not just about Jesus and Peter and the other uh, disciples in the boat. It's about me and it's about my friends sitting in this room. It's no accident that we're here divine appointment got us here we pray father that you would take this uh, moment in scripture and drive it deep into our hearts help us to walk away different than when we walked in this morning we pray this in jesus name amen so a little bit about the setting so i'm going to take most of my remarks out of the book of matthew and uh, in this particular situation the setting is they have just had that great and gigantic moment of feeding the 5,000. So if you go back tonight and or this afternoon, grab your Bible, you know, Matthew chapter 14, you start to, to look at that story, you're going to see that they, they had a, an incredible moment of faith when 5,000 people got fed little bitty boy's lunch. It was an amazing moment. And, and the disciples are pooped. They want to go home and go to bed. But instead, the Bible says in, in verse 22 that Jesus compelled them to go out and go fishing, compelled them, made them, forced them. It's not like an accident that this moment is going to come. He knew it was going to come, and therefore he pushed them to go out into this boat in the middle of the night. Uh, we're told in another portion of the scripture that it happened in the, in the fourth watch of the night. The Romans accounted for time in a different way than the Jews did. And the Jews would have three uh, moments in the nighttime and, and, the, and the Romans would have four. And it doesn't really matter how they accounted for it. It's between three and six. It's between three in the morning and six in the morning. Would you do me a favor? Somebody grab that. Jen, grab that. These kind ladies are looking at my ear, I think. There we go. Just get it out of the way. Perfect. Thanks, baby. Um, so it's between three and six in the morning. They have been up all day long doing ministry. It was not an easy day. He compels them to get in the boat. They get in the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a, kind of a misnomer. At the north part of, of Israel, there's, a, in, in essence, a, a lake. It's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. It's about 600 feet uh, below sea level. It's in a, in a location where the winds come whipping in off of the Mediterranean Sea, and it is an extremely stormy area. And it's the rainy season on top of all of that. So at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning, they're out in a boat. 
They've been rowing, trying to get where they're supposed to get. He asked them to go to Capernaum. They've, they've only gotten about three miles into it, not very far. I can imagine that they weren't really into it. The storm has become significant, the, so much so that the Bible says the boat was buffeted by the waves. And the word buffet there means tortured. This boat is being twisted. Um, there is a replica of a boat like it in Israel if you make a trip. And it's just large wood beams. And you can just imagine them creaking and moving and twisting in this horrible storm. About that time, they're crying out in, in fear. And one of them, the Lord uh, appointed Peter for this job, Peter actually sees the guy walking on the water. At first, they think he's a ghost. As a matter of fact, in the other account, uh, I think it's Mark that says he intended to walk on by. Had, not, had someone not been looking, he would have just walked on by. But as it was, Peter was aware of the potential of the presence of God in his life. And at that moment goes, wow, there's Jesus. And Jesus told him not to be afraid. That, that, that they could be, be comforted. He was present. He was here in the midst of the storm. Peter takes the moment to go beyond the obvious. Boy, this is a mess. Can you save us? Instead, he asks a crucial question. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out onto the water. He doesn't just jump out of the boat. When you teach it in Sunday school, you know, you do very dramatic kinds of things. You throw your leg out and he stepped out on the water. That was not the first step. The first step was he looked and said, if it is you, you command me and then I'll step out. And that's exactly what happened. The Bible uses that word immediately, twice in this passage. And at this point, the Bible says he asked him to come on out and he came out. He did swing his leg over the edge of that boat. And while the rest of the disciples with, I want to best guess their mouth was open, he, he swings his leg out, steps out on the water, and begins to make some steps. We don't know how far he got. His eyes were firmly fixed on Jesus, and he is walking on water. There are only two people recorded in, in the annals of history that have ever walked on water. The Lord Jesus Christ, one, and Peter, two. And he's out there on the top of the waves, now think for just a second what that would be like. That you put your foot on the top of the water and it was solid. And then you got your other leg out and it was solid. And then you took a step and perhaps another step and another step. It wasn't until he took his eyes off of the Lord that he began to sink. And at that point we all go, oh, look at him. He didn't have enough faith. <laughs> the rest of the disciples are still in the boat. <laughs> He has gotten out. And at that point, that word immediately comes up again. The Lord Jesus' hand reaches out, picks him up. He does say to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But they both climbed in the boat. And then there is a moment of worship. The Bible says that the disciples together said, truly, you are the son of God. Most of us think that the climax or the apex of this story is when Peter gets out and makes that step and walks on the water. It is not. The climax, the apex, the, the moment in this story is when they start worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him as Lord. Now you say to yourselves, well, that's great, Sherry. It's a great story. It's a good picture. Yeah, some cool things happened. What do we take away from that? There are really two kinds of people pictured in this picture. 
One is a water walker, and the other is a boat potato. Now, John Ortberg wrote a great book 15, 20 years ago called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. I recommend the book. And, and his point is, if you don't get out, what, what does that make you? And he used the phrase boat potato. So let's talk for a minute about boat potatoes. We don't have to self-identify. <laughs> the principle being, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. The problem is, why didn't they get out of the boat? Why don't we take God at his word and live a life of faith, an adventure of faith? First off, because most of us find our security in our boat. Who wants to get out where it's scary? Who wants to choose pain or difficulty or loss of jobs? Who wants to mess with relationships? All of us want hunky-dory 24-7. Whatever there is in your life or my life that, that, that provides security for us apart from the Son of God, apart from God, that is our boat. And we like it. It's safe. Perhaps it's, it's a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe, maybe it's your financial security. Maybe it's the fact that your body's in great shape and you're healthy and you're glad about it and you spend a lot of time on that. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's anything that you're tempted to put your trust and, and, and faith and confidence in. Ortberg in his book says, your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up, even if it's keeping you from joining Jesus on the water. Even if the opportunity out here is to have an adventure with God, we're reluctant to do it because it's not safe. We know this. It might be a position those of you that work outside of the home, you're, you're in a corporate situation or your own entrepreneurial world, and, and, you're, and you're gaining on it, and there's success happening, and it's very easy to, to, to lean on that. Or financially, if your family is doing well, it's very easy to say, hey, we're not where we used to be. Look, we can, we can actually pay all our bills every month. I remember when that first happened in my life. I went, what? I paid all the bills, and I, I have some money left over? You know, when we look at our, our, our financial standing or our situation in our community or our relationships, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a CEO, it doesn't really matter. Anything that provides us that false sense of security is, is our boat. And we're boat potatoes when we, when we spend our time feathering that nest. Now, I have a comfy chair at home. I'm sure you do, too. It might be the end of a comfy couch. It might be one like mine that leans up and your feet go up and the back goes up. That's it. Football started, by the way. I didn't know if you knew, but <laughs> it was a great weekend. It was a great weekend. If our confidence is in stuff like that, then, then the adventure with Christ doesn't happen. This summer, um, I, I had the opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, about some back surgery, and I went in for my scheduled date. I went up to the surgery center. I got prepped. I was in that lovely gown. It was a brown color. It was lovely. Oh, my. And, uh, you know, I'd already had the IV started, and everything was going great, except my blood pressure was going through the roof. And uh, in comes the anesthesiologist, and she starts loading this and this and this. And to make a long story short, they blew a whistle and said no. They wouldn't do the surgery. I had to get dressed again and, and go home. And, and it was like my blood pressure was really through the roof. It was bad. 
and and so now I've got to start thinking about I got to get a cardiologist. I got to get a, a you know a, a sign off that that this is white white coat syndrome, just general anxiety of a surgery, as opposed to something bad. And for the next two weeks, I'm running through, you know, jumping through hoops. And and in that process, the Lord brought to my mind a passage I'm sure you, most of you anyway, have memorized, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Well, I focused on that word acknowledge. What does it mean to acknowledge him? I'm going to trust him with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. What does it mean to acknowledge him? And so, you know, you think of acknowledgement like you see someone across the room and you, you know, a little tip of the hat or a little, little wave. I acknowledge you're here. It's great to see you. No, there's so much more in that word. In fact, in the Hebrew, that word acknowledge means yada. And yada means to, to, uh, to know. And not to know like, oh, I know her. I know a little bit about her. I know about her kids. No, it's an intimate, experiential no. It's the same word that's used for sex. It's the, it's the intimate knowledge of something because you've been there and you've done that and you've had those experiences. So now when you go back to that passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not under your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. It's lean on those experiences you have. Peter would have never been able to step out of that boat had he not had the first three and a half years of, of uh, or, or the first three years, he's almost uh, finished with this time, the first three years with with the Lord. If he had not had that experiential walking day by day with him, there's no way he would have stepped out. When you look around the room and you see someone, you think, oh, they're so-and-so. She's a real spiritual giant. She didn't get there just getting up in the morning. She got there because of the experiences of her life. She trusted. She, she doesn't rely on her couch. She's not a, a boat potato. She's relying on trusting in the Lord. And has gone through a number of experiences personally and intimately. And now they're to the place where you can say, okay, Lord, it's your deal. And that's what I did this summer in a, in a new and a fresh and a and wonderful way in my own heart. Okay, maybe I wasn't supposed to have a surgery that day. Maybe something was going to go on in the surgery room. I don't know. You know, three weeks later, surgery room, I'm fine. All is well done. Trusting in the Lord with all of my heart. I don't want to be a boat potato. What will I miss? I'll miss walking on water, an adventure with God. The second reason why people tend to be boat potatoes is they're tossed about and frozen in fear. They just can't move. It's overwhelming. When fear happens, we all know that physiologically, there's a hormonal uh, response, a a cortical response, a neurochemical response, and, and it pushes us to either fright or flight, they say. But the problem is, is that when we have that fear over and over and over again, it moves from just being an instance, it moves into a habit. And we call that habit worry. Many of us are, are, are PhD candidates for, for worry. We, we got it down. It doesn't matter what it is. We got a Rolodex full of them. We just keep flipping until we find the white one. Worry, when it's habitual, uh, really is is detrimental. It's like a rocking chair. A lot of activity. Oh, can't do that. Sorry. A lot of activity, but you're not going anywhere in a rocking chair. Worry is, is, a, is an activity that gets you nowhere. It's assuming responsibilities God never intended for you to have. What do I actually have to do with the surgery? Nada. I, 
What do I bring to the table? A body for them to work on. <laughs> and at least initially, not a good one. I, I have no skill, no background, nothing to bring to the table by way of uh, you know, experiences. Apparently, my surgeon has done eight or 9,000 of these. Yes, that's who I want messing with me. When we worry, though, we're assuming a responsibility God never intended for us to have. So what do we do with our fears? If we don't want to be a boat potato, what do we do with them? We have to take those fears. We have to take those fears to the Lord Jesus and leave them at his feet. We have to bathe ourselves in his word. You'll hear over and over again in your church life, you know, we need to be people of the book. We need to be having a devotional time. We need to have time in God's word. It's not just so we can check a box off. It's so that there is a relationship built that when the moment happens and there's an opportunity to either live by faith or sit on the couch, we choose the root of faith. How do you get rid of fears? Well, I read a great story about a missionary. He was a pilot, I think, in Brazil. And they were flying one of those small planes from missionary compound to missionary compound. He'd been up in the air. He was about halfway between where he was supposed to be. And he heard some scurrying in his, in his plane. And he recognized the sounds. It was a rat. And they're all over. And, of course, they get in the planes down there. And he's listening to them chew. And, and, he's, and he's flying the plane. He's going, oh, my goodness. If he, if he chews through the wrong wires, this plane is going down. And there's no one else in here. It's not like I can put an autopilot or something and go back and find this rat. What do I do? And then he began to think about the characteristics of a rat. And the characteristics of a rat is they live on earth. They scurry around in the dirt. They don't like high places. They're not capable of existing there. And so he grabbed that yoke and pulled it back and put that nose in the air and took it up at as high as that little plane would go, 20,000 feet. And after a little while, he didn't hear the noise anymore. When he landed the plane, they went in the back and looked around, and there was a dead rat. <laughs> you want to know what to do with your fears? Grab the yoke. Put it in the air. Put it in the, in the, the high uh, lo- location of God's word. Remember that that's, that's where a rat cannot live. In the secret place of the Most High, they don't function. Your fears go away. When you immerse yourself in God's word in an experiential and personal kind of way. They cannot, they cannot breathe in an atmosphere that's made vital by prayer and time in God's word. Worry dies when we ascend, if you will, into prayer and into his word. Third thing about a, a, a good old boat potato is they are unsure of their calling. One of the reasons they don't get out of the boat is they're unsure of their purpose and their calling. If I took a microphone around today and I started over here and I went from person to person and said, can you tell me what your calling is in life? I'm going to bet you that 90% of you are going to say, well, God's calling me to be a wife and a mother. And there is nothing not lofty about that. That is an extraordinary lofty, lofty calling. But that may not be all. It's not an exhaustive statement. It's a high and lofty statement, but it's not exhaustive. There are actually two kinds of callings on all of our lives. If we know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, there are two kinds of purposes or two kinds of callings on our lives. The first one is what I'll call a a primary or or a fundamental. If you name the name of Christ, you have been given the job of sharing the gospel. Mark 16 and 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is not the job of your pastor. 
or the, the head of your small group or your Bible, Bible study teacher. That is your job as well as my job. We are to be participants in whatever form or fashion, wherever we are, whatever calling in life, whatever stage of life, to participate in getting the gospel, the good news of Jesus out. These ladies that sang for us this morning handled in an incredible way getting out the gospel. They did so by using their gifts of music. We use any number of gifts and opportunities. It's our primary calling. If you're not participating directly, indirectly, in some form or fashion, then you missed your primary call. And then there are specific calls. Do you remember in the Old Testament the story of Esther? She's a young girl, a Jewish girl, who rises up and becomes queen of the land. And, and, and the Jewish families, the Jewish nation that was under uh, captivity at that time, comes into a, a time of real difficulty. And her uncle says, you've got to go into the king and, and speak for us. She said, I can't do that. If you don't have an audience, they kill you. He said, you know what? And here's that famous line. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And Esther went in and she appealed for her people and God used it. And in fact, wonderful things happened. That's a specific call, a specific responsibility, a specific purpose. So what are some of yours? And I say some because there are, there are some in some seasons and those pass and then there are others in other seasons. Some are gifted in amazing ways in here or there. Some, some have a single gifting. Maybe with little bitty kids it's a little tough so there's only a, a, a shorter amount of things you can get involved in. But what are you doing with those micro callings? Are you writing a book? Maybe you should. Coach a team. I was laughing at uh, Kate over here, all the things that she's done at Stony Brook, and this year she's coaching volleyball again. I mean, just put it on her resume. She's got 10 or 15 things there already. You say, well, what's the big deal about coaching volleyball? Really, the, the game of volleyball, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What I'm grateful for is if I had a young fifth grader, sixth grader, and that woman was having an opportunity to disciple my daughter, I would kiss the ground she walks on. I'd bring Gatorade every practice <laughs> just so that woman could have an imprint on my child. Coach a team. Be a caregiver. Find someone that needs help, physical help. Um, through some of my trials this summer, I, I've come to be sensitive to, to when, you, when you need help and when you don't and how to give it and who, who around you really needs it and lies and says they don't. There, there are opportunities for you to respond to those specific calls. Both potatoes don't want to do that. They want another bag of chips and uh, the big TV, which I enjoyed this weekend. Thank you. But what about, about financing ministries? Some of that extra that you have, and you say, well, we don't have any extra. Oh, yes, you do. And, and some of that extra that you might have, how about financing a ministry? How about getting involved in something at your church or through the school? Each one of the classes at school have a missions project an opportunity for your children to, to do some, some things on their own, to save some money, to do some chores, to get involved. And you can help them. Our own Bible study has a house-to-home program where we, we partner with the, the graduates that, come in, that are coming out of the... the, um, the uh, what am I talking about? Yes, great. Pause on the tape. Um, for example, uh, Orange County Rescue Missions. That's my word. Thank you. Rescue Missions. We partner with the rescue missions, the LA one or the Orange County one. When, they, when folks that have had addiction problems go through their, their full program, two, three, four years, and they're out and they're ready to go, 
and and they've they've worked for several years. They get an apartment, but they move into the apartment, and guess what they have? A sleeping bag. And so maybe they have a child, and they've they've earned back the right to have the child, and and now they move into this lovely new apartment, and they have two sleeping bags. Well, our house-to-home ministry, right here in our own well Bible study, partners with them. When a gal or a guy's coming out, with or without kids, we figure out where they are, what their situation is in life. We've been stockpiling furniture in, in several places in, in, a, in, our, in our garages and so forth. We find out that it's a gal and she's got three kids and we need a bunk bed and another single bed and mom needs a bed and they really are into art and so it would be great if we could find this. We find artwork. And we go in, we tell them to go out for dinner, we give them whatever so they can go out to dinner and a movie. And when they come back, our team has hit the house and decorates the whole thing. Hangs pictures, puts the, you know, all the stuff that makes a, a house become a home. And then they walk back in, they sit down on their new couch, and they tell us their story. Look, guys, there's an adventure. Get involved with that one. Both potatoes don't like to do that because they're not sure they have a call in their life. Please hear me this morning. You have a primary call to share the gospel, and you have any number of specific micro-callings that you ought to be listening for. And your response ought to be, okay, Lord, I'm not real good at that. I don't really know how to do that. I'm going to need some coaching, maybe a little mentoring, but I'm in. So water walkers, on the other hand, they get out of the boat. Why is it that they can get out of the boat? The first thing that I thought of is because they're comfortable with the presence of God. They're not shocked. In, in Mark's version, I said to you earlier, Jesus was walking along and intended to keep going had Peter not arrested him, his, his attention. Peter was the one that was comfortable in acknowledging, whoa, Jesus is here. Don't you like being around people that, that smell and sense and you think they just came from the throne room of God? I love those kinds of people. We used to have a teacher, Mrs. Mary Ann Fisher at Stony Brook. And every time you were around Mary Ann, you were confident she had just stepped out of the throne room of God. She was very aware of the presence of God. Peter was very aware. He was aware of God's voice. In John 10, uh, Jesus describes himself and says that he's the shepherd that where there's sheep. And he says, my sheep know my voice. It's, it's, it's important to learn the sound of a voice. When I was a little girl, my dad would climb out of an airplane at the other end of the uh, runway, and he and, you know, 50 guys would be coming out of those planes, coming home from, from, from a, a, a time away. I could pick my dad out because of the way he walked. I knew my dad's cadence. I, there's my dad. 50 guys, same outfit, same uniform, same height, but that's my daddy. On the other hand, his voice... I know my father's voice to this day. You could give me 50 voices, and I'm going to pick out my dad every time because I love him, he loves me, and we have a relationship. If you want to be a water walker, you've got to be comfortable in the presence of God. It's not a box to check. It's a delight to have. And I've used this illustration before, but one of the things that, that encourages me is when I get up in the morning, I am not in a wide-awake clerk kind of person. No, 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 no. I am more like the bear coming out of hibernation. A lot of grunting, a lot of scurrying, a lot of flopping. It's not a pretty sight. And so, so if you're picturing me at four in the morning with my Bible, with this delightful look on my face, you have the wrong mental picture. But after a little bit, I kind of get it together. 
And then, then it, it's time to, to, to spend some time with the Lord. The mental picture that drives me forward is as if I was in a cabin. And it was a warm cabin. And it had a great big fireplace. And Jesus got up early. And he stoked that fire. And that place is toasty. And he made the coffee. And I can hear it. And I can smell it. And he's sitting in a chair just patiently waiting for me to show up. I am motivated by that. I am motivated to want to be in his presence. Boat potatoes don't really care. Water walkers recognize the presence of God. They tell the difference too. They can easily tell the difference between faith and foolishness. You might say to yourself, well, it was a little foolish to step out. Who, who walks on water? When you are a person of faith, you know the difference between faith and foolishness. Again, back to that intimate awareness. It's not that God's ever going to tell you or I to go to a 90-something floor building and step off. That's not going to happen. That would be foolishness. But he might lay a, a number on our heart to support a ministry that seems absurd at the first moment. At the 20th anniversary of Stony Brook, we were in the middle of, of doing some exciting things. And I had in my mind, wouldn't it be great if we raised? And, and I won't tell you what the numbers are because it doesn't matter. But as we went through this, this wonderful banquet and the, the gifts were announced and we were uh, opening uh, envelopes and we got to that number. And I was thrilled beyond words that we got to that number. And my board chairman told me to sit back down because half the envelopes weren't opened. And as they opened the rest of the envelope, that went like two, three times my number. I just sat there on the, I don't know if you remember minor, I sat up on the top of the, uh, the stair thing at the front of the banquet hall and wept. God may want to do something like that for you, but it's the difference between faith and foolishness. He, that is Peter's response, was obedience. If it's you, tell me to come. Lord, if this is you, I'm ready to do it. Even if everybody else thinks I'm crazy. But I got to know it's you. I got to know that this is a step of obedience, not stupidity. The thing about water walkers is they recognize that they're only responsible for the very first step. It's not Peter's responsibility to figure out, all right, now it's about 500 yards before the, you know, or it's about a mile and a half before, or I'm walking at such and such a speed. How long will it take me on the water? It wasn't his job to figure any of that out. His responsibility was in obedience to step out the first step. And when you and I are taking an adventure from God, that's our responsibility. Just the little stuff. God's not calling you or I necessarily to the, to the Billy Graham positions in the world. He's calling all those other things for us to do. Matthew 25 says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that when we stand before the Lord. But you know what the next phrase says? It says, you've been faithful over a few things. A few little things. Not the gigantic turn the world upside down kind of things, but that you, you coached fifth grade girls and made a difference in their life. You were faithful over a few things. One step. After that, it's God's responsibility. A water walker expects trouble. I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. I really don't. But, but if it was me, I would have been going, okay, what are we going to do if... Uh, you know, I don't know. We better have a plan. A good water walker in the back of their mind expects problems. This is unusual that I'm walking on water. This might not last forever. Most of us, when something tragic happens in our life, we start with the why me and why this and why now. You know what the godly person says? They say, well, why not me? 
Why would it be her or them? Why not our family? God's still in control. Job says that man is born unto trouble and he has a few days. Those few days are full of trouble and his flesh will have pain. We, we, we try to avoid pain at all costs. We have the slightest headache and we're trying to decide between, you know, 15 ibuprofen or two aspirin or an Excedrin. We don't want to live with any discomfort. But God uses that to create the model of a water worker. And they know where to turn when they do fail. When he started to feel the, the, the bottom going out, where do you think he turned his attention to? Immediately to the Lord Jesus, and he grabbed him by his hand. They know where to turn when the bottom falls out. I cannot imagine going into a major surgery and not having the confidence that whether I woke up here or there, it really didn't matter. I cannot imagine that. I thought I had a great surgeon. I still do. But I would not have put my life's confidence in the hand of anyone. My confidence is in my Lord. I know where to turn. If I fail by virtue of sin, I know what to do about that, to confess it and forsake it and move on. If bad things happen in my life, I know what to do with those bad things. When, when, when a water walker is in the midst of walking on water, they're anticipating the possibility of struggle, and they know where to turn. And bottom line is, they get out of the boat. They get out of the boat. Water walkers, we're really water toddlers. I don't know about walkers, maybe toddlers. I couldn't, I couldn't apply that term to me. I don't know about water walking. I'm water toddling. I'm a water toddler. What, what's distinct about them or what, what could you take away that I took away as I walk, worked on this message? And the first one is, it all starts with obedience. Doesn't matter what it is, it's just obedience. Do this, show up there, start this, stop that, do this instead. If you're not involved in a, in a detailed, good, solid Bible study, we encourage you to join us. But if not us, all of our churches have great Bible studies. Get involved in one of those. Join a small group, be accountable, be obedient. The Lord says, do this, invest that, give this, show up here, just do it. Start a relationship uh, with with someone, commit to a devotional life, get in church if you're not, start a ministry, just be obedient. And then remember, this all starts as an act of our will, not as an expression of our emotions. If I only did what I feel good about, I would never get out of my brown chair. Emotions do not give me a reliable compass to follow. I have to sometimes do it on the basis of an act of my will. It's not certainty, it's a step of faith. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. So ask yourself the question, am I pleasing God in my life right now? And follow it up with this question, in what ways am I doing things that are steps of faith? Because if there are no steps of faith, I'm telling you, you ain't pleasing them. Don't have to be gigantic steps. They can be little steps, but they're a response to living by faith. We have to have our comfort zone expanded. South County wants comfort. We want the best barbecue. We want the best backyard. For years I used to harp on window treatments. I'm off the window treatments. I'm into backyards now. We, we want comfort. We want this car or that car. 
I, we used to have a guy who drove through, he was a doctor, and he had the oldest, most beat-up car that ever had driven through Stony Brook's parking lot. And I said to him one day, Doc, I know you can afford a new car. And he answered and said, yes, but my wife needs one. We need a larger thing for the kids. My college-age boy needs a new car. And he started with his list. My church needs this, my that, that, that. I'm just driving back and forth to the hospital. This is fine. That's not the mindset of most of us in South County. We have to get ready to have our, our comfort zone expanded. So I'm going to let you go today by asking this question. When the bottom falls out of your life, what do you reach for? What, what is your go-to? Ooh. What's the, what's the thing that provides you the comfort and encouragement, the sustainability to get through a certain a circumstance or a situation. What, what is that? If it's a person, let me tell you, they will possibly betray you. It's possible they won't hold up. If it's a financial achievement, it can all go away. If it's a relationship, those can end. The only way we can be water walkers is when we reach, we are reaching for the hand of Jesus. Ladies, if you don't know him personally today, may I just encourage you from the bottom of my heart, don't go home without stopping and saying to someone, you know what, I don't know him like she does. I would be happy to spend all afternoon talking to you, someone at school, your teacher, an administrator. Don't go through this year without developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the hand I want to reach for. Because I want to be a water walker. How about you? Let's pray. Father, water walking is a scary thing. I think if Peter had had another five minutes, he might not have got out of the boat. If he had had more time to sit and think about the pluses and the minuses and who it was going to impact and maybe it was going to make John jealous and all those other things that we stop and do before we take a step of faith. I pray, Father, that we would be like Peter and not do it that we would just step out, that we'd take our responsibilities on the macro to, to, to get the gospel out and on the micro to respond to whatever those things are you have in our life. Make us people of faith, water walkers, not boat potatoes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.